in the cocaine factory. Oh, okay. Wait, David, did you talk to the director? <laughs> it's uh, Christ at the Pillar. podcast about politics and culture in the south uh with me as always are chad watson howdy y'all and david dykes i'm here and i'm west cheek i'm here uh soaking in the pollen in lovely uptown new orleans uh so david how is everything in mexico uh things are good here i was actually on a different podcast last night Uh midnight falafel Oh, it's the Bill O'Reilly podcast. <laughs> uh, something like that, yeah. I don't, um, I, it's, a, it's like conversations, and um, so I told some stories and um, had a conversation. We talked about uh, the kids, some of the stuff we talk about, uh, we talked about the kids sort of leading the movement on gun control and that led to one thing and another. There's always, of course, a little bit of Jim Dykes talk whenever I'm, uh, talking about, I guess, anything. You just mean his voice comes in through your headphones? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, well, they, they go to check the recording later, and they're like, David, there's another voice on the recording. Could you check this for us? Like, oh my God. Dykes, <laughs> where did it come from? Yeah. You, you, yep. failed, you failed me, son. Everyone's failed me. <laughs> find, find my gold. <laughs> my gold is buried in the... <gasps> <laughs> so yeah that happened and uh, let's see uh, this next week we're doing a three day week at school and then we're off on our break for Holy Week and either the week before or after Holy Week I can't remember what the sequence is but I got two weeks off I'm thinking about going to the pyramids and, I guess they're off already <laughs> yeah I was going to say the three day week started early three day week's done over and yeah, so that's, Sorry, dude, that's what's going on with me. All right, Chad, what, how's Houston? Uh, Houston is Houston. It's um, you know been kind of nice this week. We've actually been on. I've been on spring break. Uh, most of oh, East yeah. Texas is on spring break this week. So oh, wow, that's good. That's going to be a nutty time in East Texas when all the all, all the shotguns will go back on the gun racks and the pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. All the kids can be out not getting indoctrinated, um, getting unindoctrinated. Do they all drive down to Galveston? Where do they go? Yeah, they go to Galveston. Um, if Yeah, a lot of my kids will go to Galveston, or a lot of people will go to Galveston. Uh, that's close, and that's cheap. Uh, if they have a little more money, they'll drive all the way to uh, South Padre Island, which is oh, like yeah. south of Corpus Christi. It's a little bit further yeah. drive. It's a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe upper classes. It's a little bit ritzier. It's a little bit ritzier than 
than Galveston. Galveston. In some it was regard. never destroyed by a hurricane killing thousands of people. Yeah, it never had the largest uh, hurricane at, at the time strike it down. Um, um, and by rich, I don't mean nicer. I mean more like touristy. I guess maybe more amenable to tourists. Uh, South Padre Island. Or more amenable to spring break. It's more of like a... Lots of college kids go there for spring break, so that's... I don't even know what a Texas beach looks like. I don't. I can't really picture it. Oh boy. Um, I mean, because I'm from the nicest beach in the world, so I kind of uh, have opinions on these things. Well, in Gal, really, I just have uh, the Galveston and some of the beaches close to Galveston, like around Port Arthur, and that. And they are uh, kind of the sand is dirty. Uh, the water, so like, there's always like every like every couple weeks, there's like a toxic. Uh, like toxic water warning off the beach, like su- either sewage is spilled or like there's some oil, there's some sort of oil spill or something that you have to kind of like you're on guard to uh, to watch uh, watch out for uh, watch out for. Well, you mean that that's why Texas has that uh, boom in GDP. Yeah, that's right. I would concede that uh, around Destin is the nicest saltwater beach in the world. What's a freshwater beach? Hmm? Mm, just what it sounds like. Freshwater? You mean like a lake? <laughs> mm, there's all sorts of freshwater beaches. You mean like uh, Michigan? Like Norris? Like no, or Norris? Like Norris. Or Norris. Or there's also rivers. There's also... Lots of bar. Uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those are weird. Like I always think there's a dead body somewhere, like about a Mississippi foot the and all of those. Oh, Mississippi's a nice, a nice beach. If you can well, the problem with it. the freshwater beaches, the reason you think of uh, dead bodies is because we don't have sharks to clean them all up. <laughs> yeah, the way that the ocean does. Uh, well, because so they take care of the slow, slow people and the old, so we keep. Well, we do have mud puppies, so and a mud puppy will. Um, like basically strip a corpse down to its, um, in the, down to just bare bones in a matter of just a couple of months. So, mm-hmm. what about the pumpkin heads? Do the pumpkin heads do that too? Uh, they're usually what throw you in in the first place. Okay, <laughs> that's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> the pumpkin heads threw me to the mud puppies. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Explicit, but explicit warning on the sensitive topics. Speaking of pumpkin heads, I've been to uh, two St. Patrick's Day parades in the last two weeks, and God help me, it's more than I can take. <laughs> um, I, I went to the I went to the Metairie St. Patrick's Day parade for the first time last week, uh, and oh boy, I only saw I only saw two guys. Wearing Confederate flag beads. <laughs> uh, anybody and wearing a Lee, any Lee Circle beads? I couldn't find. I didn't see any of them. But I was trying not to look. Like it was Metairie. Like if I saw them marching in a Mardi Gras parade with those, I would yell something. But it was Metairie, and I realized I was <laughs> vastly outnumbered. When in Rome, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think all was one the, of the beads, uh, yeah. Lee Circle beads are being sold as uh, mementos and collectors' items on eBay now eBay. anyway. Probably. It's a largely eBay based movement. Would um did you see any uh 
Confederate flags that were green, like they were green instead of red to celebrate St. Patrick's not, Day. Do they make those? They're I don't know. They should. Thing. They should be. Yeah. I or mean, they because the Irish stars, it's little shamrocks. <laughs> <laughs> the shamrocks and bars. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because the Irish were the original slaves. That's true. A lot of people so don't all, know. I haven't really. I've never heard that before. You've never seen an internet meme? I've never said that should be. Somebody should say, I should recommend that to some of my friends on Facebook. That they should start <laughs> telling people. That originally, did you know that Irish people were slaves? Yeah. I would say that the Irish people were very involved in slavery. Mm. <laughs> you haven't, you haven't, you don't have the same friends I do on Facebook. Or not, not these, not these, uh, not certain friends. Well, our friend, our friend Amber had a post about that on, um, uh, Oh yeah, uh, on uh, St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I think I've mentioned it before, but if anyone's not familiar with the Irish slave myth, they should look at uh, Liam Hogan. He's an Irish. Uh, I think he's like a research librarian and historian, but he's written a lot about this and had it published. I know he's got an article on PRI.org, and I think it was republished maybe in like the Post or the New York Times. But he's done extensive research on the the Irish slave myth as a myth and as how it's used currently. So I recommend Liam Hogan. Myth and meme. I don't know if my, I don't know if the friends that uh, perpetuate that meme on Facebook will appreciate anything from that has to do with research or a library. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, here's one of my, my favorite genre, my favorite of that genre is uh, a picture of a bunch of like child laborers. And it says (laughs) white Irish slaves were treated worse than any other race in the U S when was the last time you heard an Irish man bitching about how the world owes them a living? You won't. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a single true uh, sentiment in that entire meme? No. Uh, if I had a good Irish accent to debut, this would be the time to, to put it out there, but I'm not, not going to do it. We probably have I mean, a steel yeah. player of doing accents. The, the the entire the entire everything that we know myth and reality about the Irish is based on their stoic, not not complainingness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking it as it comes. That's the Irish well, way. You know, it also that kind of myth cancels out. You know, like Ireland was kind of a hotbed of like revolutionary fervor for you know centuries. And it kind of cancels that out by saying, no, there was this kind of, they were enslaved, they were docile, they didn't complain. It's like, no, they were actively, they were oppressed and actively fomenting revolution in Britain. You well, know, well, you know at least they got, um, at least they got uh, treated well and uh, they got clothes. And you know, they all had work. Isn't that true of Is all slaves? That's the upside <laughs> yeah. of slavery is everybody's got a job and they get treated really, really well if you don't consider being bought and sold bad. Well, it's because, you know, think about it. Uh, do you treat your property badly? No. <laughs> no. Well. Like, I, 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 my couch, I, it costs me a lot of money, and so I take care of my couch. Mm-hmm. I let my kids jump on it. I uh, fall asleep on it with like a mouthful of iced tea and a cheese stick in my nose. <laughs> I, uh, I come in like really sweaty from running and I flop down on it, and sweat in it. Mm-hmm. I let all my friends sit on it. 
you whip it mercilessly when you uh, stub your toe on the side of it. Yeah, I would do that. Um, and then I, uh, I nope. sell his children. I sell his children. Uh, anyway, so anyway, I went to um, the St. Patrick's Day Bread in Metairie, and I didn't realize like how I usually go to the one uptown in New Orleans because it's by my house, and you know they throw cabbages and potatoes and stuff, and it's pretty great because I usually go home with a bag of, of vegetables. The Metairie Parade, they throw everything constantly. And so I came home with seriously maybe about 80 pounds worth of produce. So we've been eating cabbage all week. We've had cabbage curry, cabbage stew, cabbage salad, potato salad, coleslaw. And we're having to like, we're having to give away cabbages to our neighbors. And we had to do like a cabbage barbecue today. We don't know what else to do with it. But it was pretty amazing. uh, uh, When in doubt, barbecue. Barbecue the cabbage. And then, uh, and then it just goes on forever. And so people just get bored and leave, and so they're just throwing the stuff at empty chairs. So then you have empty chairs full of cabbages and ramen and Irish spring soap. It's pretty intense. <laughs> All the three, uh, the, the trinity of Irish culture right there. <laughs> cabbage, ramen noodles, and Irish spring soap. <laughs> well, ramen was the traditional, the traditional uh, food ways of the enslaved Irish people. <laughs> With the old, the old Irish ramen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had to eat every bit of the ramen. Then. <laughs> yeah, you had, to, you had to use every part of the ramen. You had to take the scraps from the house, and they're always throwing out their crispy noodles. <laughs> and their MSG fact. packets. Uh, and their their bone marrow that have been cooked for days, but then uh, yesterday was the the uptown New Orleans parade, and I went. And it's if you've never been, it's a great parade. But they really shouldn't call it a parade. They should call it like drunk white people milling around in the street, which is pretty much what it is. And it's enjoyable. It's fun. Um, but you know, it's like uh, I, I went with a bunch of Japanese people, some of who are only here temporarily. Who are asking me? Not everyone in this parade is actually Irish, right? I'm like, I don't think anybody in this parade is actually Irish. <laughs> they're all Italians. We, yeah, we'll all, see yeah, the same people in the St. Joseph's friend. parade. You do, and you see them in the same in every parade. Yeah, it's just those people. But it, you know, whatever. You can pretend to be Irish. I recommend to anyone who likes history books uh, David Hobswam's Invented Traditions. Have you ever read that? Where no. He, he writes about. He writes about how uh, Scottish Highland culture was completely made up by the British occupation to kind of um, instill British pride in these, these kind of rebel tribes in Scotland. And he writes about others, like Japanese uh, martial arts culture is kind of a very recent invention. He writes kind of about these invented traditions. And then the criticism of him, him is saying, well, but aren't all traditions invented? It's like, well, yeah, that's the point, right? Like, it's all made up stuff anyway. Well, but you don't necessarily, um, what do they call it, retconning it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that it's always been that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, but then, then, uh, it, but it, was, it, was, it was good. It was good. I got a sunburn. Uh, I drank too much. I guess that's what you're supposed to do on St. Patrick's Day. But the good thing about St. Patrick's Day is it's done at like 8 o'clock at night. So even if I drink too much, I go home, I go to sleep, and then no big deal. And got up into the Shamrock and Run this morning, which is a fun 8K run in New Orleans, which is a very strange distance. So it was, it was good. 
That was my exciting week. I had other exciting stuff, but I've forgotten most of it now. Uh, so we've been meaning to talk about the West Virginia teacher strike in more detail, but we've been kind of putting it off. So let's talk about the West Virginia teachers strike. Let's talk about it. So, and we should sp- we should we should say, and we talked about this before. West Virginia is not the South, right? It's may is reason for existence is it's not part of the South. However, it's very well, it's not part of the it's not part of the Confederacy, but the Confederacy and the South aren't the same thing. And if East Tennessee is part of the South, then West Virginia is too. Well, this goes back to our original arguments that we had, right? And so. By dividing it up, like kind of by political territory, we would say it's not the South, but it's definitely culturally part of Appalachia, right? Which we yes. think of as being very much part of the South. And uh, it's very hard to culturally draw the line at, at West Virginia when, when um, it's the same kind of cultural groupings. So I, I would consider it culturally part of the South, right? I think. Yes, I would. I would. More so than like Dallas or Miami. Yeah. Which are actual parts of the territorial South. Right. All right. So tell me about the West Virginia teacher strike. What's going on? What happened? What's the resolution? Well, they came, I guess it was last, was it last week? Um, last week that they reached, so they they agreed to the, the union, the union bosses and the governor, well, well, the way the way that it all like I guess it started. They were the the teachers had asked. Well, not the teachers had not asked, but the teachers were getting the state approved one uh, percent budget increase. Uh, but then also their insurance premiums were going to go up to where it essentially amounted to a pay cut that they were going to get a pay cut the next year, and that's what sparked the protests. And so they finally the final agreement was that they were. They got a five. All state employees got a five percent raise, and there is a committee that is being formed to investigate ways to fix the Public Employees Insurance Association, which is the how they get their insurance. And also, the governor, the governor Jim Justice, he. This is sort of like he promised. This is like a handshake. Like, this is not in right anywhere. But he said he would veto any anti-union uh, sort of um, any anti-union any more anti-union legislation that comes across his desk. He would veto it. Um, but West Virginia is already a right-to-work state, so I don't know what other anti-union stuff could come across them. So that's. That's where yeah, and, and Jim Justice is kind of an interesting character, right? Because he ran as a Democrat, correct? Yeah, and he's like a coal baron, is he coal money, coal baron. Yeah, he coal owns a coal company. Yeah, he owns a a big, or he's part of a group of people that owns a big coal company, and he owes like his company owe, owes like the state of Virginia like three like three and a half million dollars in like taxes and like penalties for. Regular like violations, uh, mining regular, and he also owes he has he owes the state of Kentucky a lot of money. His company owes the state of Kentucky about the same amount of money, um, and he is the richest person. He's the richest person in West Virginia, right? Uh, and so that yeah. means he gets to be governor. Mm-hmm. And he switched parties, so he got elected as a Democrat and switched right. parties to being Republican. Oh, which is good. one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, fine, fine with me. I think all those people just wish to being Republicans as quickly as possible. 
Well, um, you know, it's I like, like he called, I think um, he called the teachers dumb bunnies. And I think that anybody who's calling teachers dumb bunnies, uh, probably I'm happier that they belong to the Republican Party. And over, yeah, in, no, yeah. um, uh, over in Kentucky, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, in Kentucky, the governor there, uh, I'm going to look it up real quick here, but uh, Bevan, Bevan. Uh, called yeah. the teachers selfish and ignorant and compared them to hoarders during World War II. <laughs> so, well, that's actually, is there something wrong with being a... Oh, oh, not like in the frugal sense of being a hoarder, but in the sense of what? Uh, the, you're the keeping all the rubber of, uh, tires. Yeah, um, uh, holding on to stuff that's being rationed and uh, uh, taking more than your fair share. And he basically was saying, yeah, you're, you're uh, picking the pocket of everybody who's hardworking in this state uh, by demanding uh, that you make, you know, I think West Virginia, I think it's 47th. Yeah. In teacher pay, forty seventh or forty eighth in teacher pay, I think. Yeah, I think it's yeah, but yeah. When Oklahoma's last, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm Oklahoma's. not sure about Oklahoma. I know that they're in the middle of uh, a very similar sort of thing. Oh, I think they're yeah. forty nine or fifty. They're below West Virginia, so they're forty nine. Yeah, or 50. I think Oklahoma's the worst about. Yeah, it, right? I think so. Uh, and are they going out on strike? It looks that way yeah. still, right? April the second. April the second. They're going. They're uh, going out on strike. That's still, as far as anyone knows, they are saying they're going out. They voted and they're going out on strike April the second. If they're demanding, they haven't had that. a raise in in about ten years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently it's illegal for them to even discuss going out out on strike. <laughs> I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another right to work state. That's why, yeah, Which is not a right to free speech state or a right to freedom of assembly state, uh, but the right to work, which is which trumps <laughs> all of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. The right to be forced into low-paying jobs. Yeah, yeah. I know that um, DSA has been uh, helping teachers there prepare meals for low-income kids because a very high percentage of kids in Oklahoma and West Virginia uh, receive meals at school. Mm-hmm. Right, which was so something the teachers in West Virginia did. They helped prepare meals yeah. because a lot of them work at low-income schools where, yeah, kids only get, that's the only that's probably they only get the breakfast and lunch that they eat at school. It's probably the only real meals they get. So in preparation for the strike, the kid, they were, you know, making sure their kids were being fed. So this is one of uh, an interesting thing with this because we've been talking about this in one of my classes uh, that I teach recently. Because a lot, a lot of the students I have are not very aware of U.S. labor history, and I guess that's probably true of most college freshmen across the country. I would wager, but we've been talking about this West Virginia strike, and then I showed them uh, Harlan County, USA, last week, and none of them had seen it before. Uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that we've all seen it before. Yes. yes. Seen it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, Chad, I didn't realize. Well, I guess I realized, but I was looking, I was showing them a map uh, in class to show them where it was, and it's right across the border from here. Yeah, and actually my um, my grandfather's brother uh, ran a hardware store in, in Harlan. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. 
and we would we would go there like probably once a week. Uh, I once I mean not once a week, once a month for several years. Was it called the which side are you on uh, hardware? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, so, but so yeah, my, my, it was really interesting watching this with my students because they are one like it, if you know about Tulane, most people aren't from the south, and two, they're not from the kind of backgrounds generally where this would be part of something that they know about. So they were really surprised by it. But the interesting thing was was they were also really enthusiastic about it. So it was good to watch it with them. Uh, And they were asking questions like, uh, what are they trying to blockade? Like, what's a scab? What are they referring to? Um, And then when I explained it to them, they're like, oh, wow, that's I didn't realize that happened. So part of that, I think, is a product of the kind of class backgrounds they're from, but it's also from the fact that we don't really have unions anymore. Um, and this is probably the first or the largest union action in decades. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. That's why it's so important. I think so it is, and it's successful. And it seems like a lot of places and people have realized oh, we can still have, uh, we can still go on strike. We can still have union actions. Right. Uh, we can still do these things. So Oklahoma's following it. New Jersey, T- yeah. is it Jersey City? Teachers Jersey City, yeah. Now. Jersey City went on strike. Uh, Kentucky, they haven't had any votes to go on strike, but they've been demonstrating uh, at the Capitol. Uh, they've actually uh, even... This is about retirement, right? About uh, pensions? Yeah, in Kentucky, in the state of Kentucky, teachers do not pay into Social Security. They have like an arrangement to where they don't pay into Social Security. Their, you know, their retirement is supposed to come from their pension, and the state government is cutting their pension drastically. Um, and even like some of these teachers have not paid any money into, you know, Social Security ever. And you know they're having their retirement wages, their retirement pension cut drastically. That's what happened to me in Louisiana is uh, I had a choice of uh, state retirement system or private, and I thought you can never go wrong betting against the state of Louisiana. And then that was right (laughs) after uh, George W. Bush became president, and the market started tumbling immediately. And it turned out that, but I think in the long run, still, I made the wrong choice. (laughs) Yeah. Because Bobby Jindal decided also to uh, destroy the economy of Louisiana because it would get him elected president. Yeah. And that really worked out. So, yeah, one thing uh, also, so I was trying to explain to my class like how this area of the country has, in, in many ways, a lot more radical labor history than we think about or conceive of. Uh, like the whole Appalachian region has has this kind of streak in it more so than the rest of the country. So, like, most of the rest of the South, like Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, um, while there have been, like, kind of radical actions over the years, it, it hasn't necessarily been as successful or it's been different kinds of traditions. And there's been a lot more, like, violent repression of it. But for, I think, lots of different reasons, Appalachia has been somewhat unique in this. It's well, it's funny, you know, all the people in the U.S. who... Uh, 
talk as if they're going to at some point have to turn their guns against the government. It's almost never mm-hmm. in uh, defense of their labor unions. No. It's all people who are going to turn their guns against the government because they're afraid the government's going to take away their guns, which is kind of circular. Uh, yes. But, uh, but it doesn't require you to believe in anything more than um, bullets, I guess. Yeah, I've been so I don't want to digress too much on that, but I've been thinking about that a lot recently. So those people who always say that, like we're gonna have we have to have guns in case the government decides to oppress people, I have not seen them show up once when ICE is like yanking people off the streets, and I don't ever remember them showing up uh, ten years ago when people were being evicted from their homes because they had uh, been ripped off on their mortgages. So I tend to yeah. not have faith in those people to actually show up when people are being oppressed. Yeah, um, um, so yeah, but um, uh, there was, I guess Mate One is about the, uh, uh, about Battle the, yeah, and um, a lot of people don't have any idea um, that um, the army in as late as the 20th century is being called out on citizens for different reasons and different citizens in Oklahoma City. And in um, 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 Appalachia, and uh, uh, against uh, what was uh, um, was it? Move, push. Yeah, move, mm-hmm. uh, move, move. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, we tend to kind of forget that, um, uh, or elide it. Yeah. So, not to keep referring to my class, but I'm gonna keep referring to my class. I was trying to explain to them. Uh, gun issues too and I was saying you know that there are like left wing arguments for being armed and I was like are you familiar with those arguments and no one really was I'm like well so I tried to show that some like some, some are because of these things right like that the government does uh, occasionally blow up <laughs> blow up citizens of the of the country and like you see like uh, there's this great scene in um, Harlan County USA where they're talking to a coal miner and he says, uh, well, there's a march in town. It's like, I wish the march had just kept going on up to the to the mine and expropriated some of those machine guns. It's <laughs> like, man, forget it. They, like, weren't, they weren't messing around in the, in the least. Well, and, and then the old fellow who talked about how back in the day they yeah. would have just climbed up into a tree up on the mountainside and picked people off uh, up at the mines. Sure, yeah, and they have people who are part of the Battle of Blair Mountain who are talking about what how they would have done it. And one guy argues on the side of, yeah, we would have gone in there, just kept shooting, shooting, got cover, shooting, got cover until we got them. And then another guy makes the argument that he saw enough blood and death at the Battle of Blair Mountain that he would want to vote for the contract. Um, but then you have people like, I think, American hero Lois Scott, who's in the movie, who carries her pistol with her inside of her shirt, um, yeah, and it actually instigates like all of the women in the town uh, blockading the streets with cars and trying to get the strike breakers arrested. Uh, and she's such a powerful figure in that man. I really think there should be a statue of her outside the courthouse, or she should be on stamps or something. Well, that's an interesting thing about the the strike as it went on and on and on. Eventually, it was the women carrying and sustaining the whole thing. The men got either frustrated or depressed or mm-hmm. bored or not all mm-hmm. of them, but uh, 
largely, and the women were the ones yeah. who kept it going. And I think it's kind of, it's kind of like churches, you know, like uh, right. men ostensibly have the power, but women are the ones who tend to make sure that everybody shows up every week. Yeah, I uh, we talked about this before, everything, but in Kai Erickson's um, Everything in His Path, he talks about that dynamic in Appalachia where the men are fiercely independent up into a point where they can become completely incapable, and then it's generally the women who are the stabilizing force in their lives. <laughs> I'm just um, applying that to my own life and thinking how true or <laughs> not true it is. And Chad, uh, uh, the women that keep your your family life stable. Yes. <laughs> yep. Happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, you see that in there, like the um, the the men, the picket lines kind of start to dwindle, and it's the women shame the men into going back up there uh, by yep. saying, like, go ahead and leave the meeting if you're not going to be on the picket line, because I want to know for sure who's going to be there if we're going out there. And then, uh, yeah, and from that point, they, they shame the men, and the men, you see them out there, like, how can the women be out here and we're not, and they get them to go do it. Uh, so, I mean... What are your kind of thoughts on why that level of like radical action seems to happen in in that area of the country? Because that's much more you guys' area of the country than mine. Well, I, for me, it's partly just that there's a kind of fierceness to people there. It's a, um, a, a cultural value, you know, and mm-hmm. it mostly manifests itself in such a fiercely individualistic way that everybody's turned against each other. But if you can get everybody on one side, it's not... uh, You don't have to go very far. You don't have to push people very far before they're ready to take pretty drastic steps. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think most of the, you know, like the coal companies and the fossil fuel companies can easily... Well, they are outsiders you know they're like an occupying mm-hmm. force and the people the 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 union workers are like this is our you know this is our uh this is our land our property and not I mean maybe not our love but this is our country this is our um and it's our right to do this job but to do it the way that we want to do it and and i think it's easier to get to kind of unite the um unite people i guess that occupying force of the coal company it's it's interesting to me because I feel like we have that in other areas but it's not ever carried like in Louisiana you definitely definitely have the oil industries and extraction industry who've like you know ruin ruin good parts of the state but and I feel like when you talk to the people there and it's largely like you know uh, Cajun people who have that same kind of attitude but yet somehow there's never really been that kind of tradition of radical action against it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that, but I mean, and too, I mean, these and I mean, the coal companies have been an occupying force for, you know, a long time. I mean, I guess it's they mm-hmm. have been around. I don't know, this might be true in Louisiana and other places, but you know, they've been around not so long that, you know, like maybe your great-great-grandmother remembers like when the when she signed her mineral rights away yeah. to her property. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's sort sort of something like within your family, within your family oral history, you can remember like when the coal company came and 
took everything away. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know how that makes it different. More different well, than you know, Louisiana. I, I do know. I do know. Like Louisiana and Alabama, that there was also like very, very violent reaction against any kind of organized labor, especially against like African American populations who uh, sometimes were the catalyst for like radical action. They were, you know, lynched. Uh, and so maybe that part of maybe due to the geographical terrain of that part of Appalachia, it's harder to do that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm a um, big so believer me, also yeah. that um, a big, huge part of culture is just narrative. What's the story you tell right. yourself about yourself? Yeah. And I think that the um, the coal companies had enough contempt for Appalachian people to not even try to change their narrative. They just thought that they would not have a will because they were foolish enough to sell their mineral rights. They thought that that meant that they could be duped and forced and bullied into anything. So speaking of this West Virginia thing, I wanted to ask you guys about uh, Hillary Clinton's recent comments when she was in India. Did you catch this? I did not. Uh, so she was speaking in India at a, this is, this is unfortunately named the India Today Conclave. <laughs> but she's, they asked her about the, the, uh, election and she said, if you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle places where Trump won. What that map doesn't show you is that I won the places that own two thirds of America's gross domestic product. I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward. And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You don't like black people getting rights. You don't like women getting jobs. You don't want to see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever that problem is, I'm going to solve it. Um, So I thought this was, again, in the long line of Hillary Clinton being very bad at politics. But just in terms of what we're thinking about, about... The West Virginia teacher strike in Harlan County, USA. I think this is entirely misguided, and it's something that the Democratic Party needs to figure out a much better position on than than what Hillary Clinton's voicing here. And given she isn't campaigning right now, but still, I thought this was really bad. Well, that makes yeah. it especially bad that she's campaigning because it's because it's really what she thinks. Yeah, I think it's what she thinks. I do. And I think it's not only what she thinks, I think it's what a lot of Democrats in America. Well, I was going to say, did you see the, the, the tweet that Joanne Reed put out like during the teacher strike? Oh, Lord. Uh, what was it? It, it was, was about... I yeah, have it, it right here in front of me. Meanwhile, yeah. teachers in West Virginia are on strike for better pay and health care. If they started voting for politicians who actually support Jesus these things, Christ. look out, GOP. And does she not realize that West Virginia was a solid Democratic state yeah. until fairly recently? That for like then, the yeah, like yeah, for eighty it, years, like either yeah. two, you know, out of the governorship, the House, and the Senate, like two of the three were were Democrat, and I think for the last twenty years, they were all th- up until like two thousand fifteen, they were all three right, Dem- like they were and all then, three. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it, this is the thing too, like people. People like a lot of people I like really like Joanne Reed, but she's so wrong about this stuff all the time. And you know, she, I think she is kind of a, a voice of where the Democratic Party is now, which is to say, like, we cannot analyze how the Democratic Party completely failed, like that area of the country. Like, we can only look at it as Trump's the bad guy, uh, and he won this stuff based on racism. And it's like, you know, 
he's a bad guy, and he did campaign on racism. But the Democratic Party also completely failed these areas of the countries for for decades, and don't want to address that. It makes me crazy. Like I, I watched an I watched an interview with with uh, a family in West Virginia, uh, and and they were talking about how. They used to be employed in like timber and coal mines, and then that all just disappeared. And of course, when that disappeared, every other job disappeared. Like there aren't gas stations anymore, there aren't grocery stores right. anymore. And so they collect cans on the side of the road. Now that's what they do, and they make I think it was like forty five dollars. Forty five dollars in a day is a really good day, but that's working all day and finding a lot of cans. Yeah. Well, what's um, so, uh, yeah. what? Clinton is sort of ignoring and that uh, uh, people ignore over and over again is take, like Louisiana is probably one of the most conservative states in the country. And, you know, 40% of the electorate is Democrats. It's just that it's not enough to dominate the the state. Right. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's not like everybody who lives in Louisiana is a Republican. It's just yeah. that most people, uh, by a significant number, but not like there aren't plenty of uh, Democrats and liberals and socialists and all different sorts of people in Louisiana. Yeah, of course, of course. And it's like, you know, most margins between, I, it's just a bad terminology, but blue and red states in America are like five, like a huge, like a state we think of as, oh, it's super red, is like a 10%. Swing, maybe, right. right? It's like yeah. it's not, uh, it's not like that kind of divide, and and also like, shouldn't Joy and Reid, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, for that matter, the Democratic Party look and say, like, maybe there's a reason that people in those areas aren't voting Democrat right now, and maybe that reason is kind of wrapped up in racism. Maybe there are bad problems with it, but maybe there's economic issues here that we should worry about. Maybe there are very real economic issues, like teachers not making a living wage, right? Like the fact that the economy just moved away from any jobs that support uh, a normal middle-class existence. But then the other thing that this, I think this Hillary Clinton quote gets so wrong is that uh, it's not, it's not that these areas aren't productive. They're producing. They're producing the wealth that is going to these areas of the country that she's describing as productive, right? Yes. Oil money from Louisiana goes to New York and California. Coal money from West Virginia goes out of West Virginia, right? And so because we have financialization of our economy, right, we see those as numbers on the stock market, right? So you make money in New York City, but the the extraction happens in West Virginia and Kentucky and those places. And the oil, the extraction happens in the Gulf of Mexico and is routed through Louisiana, right? Like these are extraction economies. And so you look at the people who are doing the extraction and say, oh, they're not producing. Yeah. Well, um, um, you know, our friend Jake wanted us to address the, the idea, which maybe it's a metaphor, maybe it's a stretch, maybe it's not, but that uh, the American South is basically a colonized region within the country. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Well... And also, like, going back to, like, why, like, well, West Virginia was a Democratic stronghold, and actually Kentucky was a Democratic, uh, you know, stronghold until a few years Mm -hmm. ago. But also, like, the Democrats that were in power were also people that were beholden to the coal companies. 
and these companies and in like West Virginia they keep cutting the budgets on the they keep cutting everything and they're not they're you know basically the teachers are getting a well they were getting a decrease a pay cut and they may still get a pay cut and they say and to get this and to get the five percent raise uh, you know the insurance their insurance is still going to go up so they still might end up getting a, uh-huh. a pay cut and you know the the West Virginia you know the head of the Senate I think said that the way that they're going to make up the money for the teachers uh, is to cut um, community college assistance and Medicaid is how they're going to make the money up where at like but the West Virginia has some of the most lax taxes on coal companies in the United right. States and I think I've read some reports like you could raise it just if you raise their taxes like two and a half percent, you could pay like you could cover everything in West Virginia. Like everything in West Virginia would be covered. They could do, you know, the teachers could get raises. They could fix the insurance, you know, premiums. But they're not. And this is what the Democrats have been doing. I mean, the Republicans are doing it now, but the Democrats have been doing it for years because to get elected in West Virginia, you, you know, ended right. up being part of beholden to a lot of money. And, uh, you know, cutting, saying it's a choice between Medicaid or teachers' salaries is a way to keep uh, the the poor, the working poor, and even the middle class at each other's throats. And saying, oh, it's a zero-sum game. There's no money. We have to choose between one group of poor people being screwed or another group of poor people being screwed, rather than saying um, maybe there's something unfair in this system. And that's how it's done. So as part of this, I was trying to illustrate uh, to my students how this works, and I showed them uh, Don Blankenship's uh, Senate campaign website. Um, and for those who don't know, Don Blankenship used to be the CEO of Massey Energy, and he was convicted of manslaughter when 29 miners were killed at the uh, was it the Upper Upper Big Branch coal mine. I think so. In uh, in, in West Virginia, and it was amazing that he would actually be. Convicted, right? You didn't think an oil executive or a coal executive could be convicted of these things. He's convicted for manslaughter. I believe he went to jail for about a year. He's out now and he's running for Senate in West Virginia. And there's a very good chance he's going to be elected as a senator for West Virginia. And I told this to my class and they were immediately like their jaws dropped open and they said, But don't they don't they know who's gonna vote for him? Like, well, this is how it works, right? He's just gonna come out and say uh, Obama hated coal. He took your jobs. Um, I, the regulations stifled me. Of course, they came after me because I provided jobs for you. Don't you want a functioning economy? And of course, <laughs> if you're living under this economy that isn't functioning, you're you're going to want you're going to want a functioning economy. And, and the problem is, like I, as Chad was illustrating, the Democrats aren't giving a much better message. They're just being a a lighter version of this there. Yeah, and so some people are so disaffected they're just not going to vote. They're quite vote at all, right. you know. Vote for yeah. the Democrat that's going to sell us out to the coal company, or vote for the Republican that's right. going to sell us out to the coal company. So why, why vote? Um, yeah, sure, right. Yeah, why, why vote? You're not going to do anything about it either, right? Yeah. And then so we have you know Joe Manchin, who's probably like the worst Democrat in the Senate, uh, against Don Blankenship, who's one of the worst human beings on earth. and what is it what does Joe Manchin's daughter do like uh, she's the uh, she's the like the CEO of the company that upped the price of the EpiPen oh that's right the EpiPen yeah Yeah. 
good 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 people. Nice and yeah, good people. Um, um, yeah, and even uh, by some like the the West Virginia back to the West Virginia teachers mm-hmm. union. I mean, they were by some counts. I don't know. This is kind of I, I don't know how reliable this is, but only about twenty percent of the people in the teachers union voted for were Trump voters or claimed to be Trump voters. They either didn't vote or voted. Mm-hmm. You know, for somebody that was not Trump, so I, I don't know how reliable that is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But it's an interesting situation, and I think I'm. Uh, I mean, it's very heartening to finally see like labor action that's successful. And I think one thing the teachers' union there has tried to do this great is tying it to it's not just their raise; it's all public employees right. getting a raise. So it's a way to kind of fight back against the. The, the split, uh, trying to split the working class against each other. Um, there's a, I was, I was uh, ceding the floor to Chad, but there's a New York Times about, uh, a New York Times article about uh, whether the West Virginia teacher strike was, uh, was really that good for the working class in general because of mm. the... Um, the opportunity that it gave to basically pit teacher uh, salaries against. Uh, but there will always be an opportunity, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's one thing in America, it's always funny, like you say education's important, but then you look at the numbers and it's clearly not important at all. Well, and there was just in the Wall Street Journal today, there was an article that said that on average states spend 2% less than they did in the middle of now today like they spend 2% less than the uh, than they did during the recession on schools like like 2000 like the middle of the recession they spend 2% less i mean that's average. how austerity policies work right oh. you 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 put them in place during recessions and then you never ever roll them back and in fact you just put them in more mm. and put them in more i mean that's how they work but you don't say uh, we're going to put this in here just to get through the recession, and then we're going to put it back. It never goes back. No, just they cut it you more. Just keep, you just keep tightening the screws and tightening the screws. Um, it, it's strange to look at all this because you know, I I didn't I I was not allowed to be in a union in Japan because I'm not Japanese. But there, uh, teachers who are full time teachers in the teachers union in Japan, it's completely different than. America, like being a teacher in Japan, you public school teacher, you automatically have a really good job, probably for the rest of your life, unless you screw it up, with really good pay, bonuses twice a year, and bonus is two months pay, twice a year you get as a check, and then like complete, of course, great, uh, socialized healthcare, everything else. Um, so it is possible, it is possible to have education be important in your country. It's just America doesn't take it. Uh, seriously. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) A generation of dumb people. Mm -hmm. Oh, that could never happen. (laughs) So, uh, we'll close out in a minute here, but I was going to give you this uh, tidbit of a story that's interesting. You probably don't know, but uh, the Mississippi River is at flood stage right now. So, the Bonnie Carey spillway has been opened um, and it, in it's like 80 year history, I think it only been opened, um, like seven or eight times. I went to see it open the last time it was open a few years ago, but it's now been open twice in like the last three years. Uh, the river, so that means the river is really high, but the interesting thing about the spillway 
is once they open the spillway, it runs over this giant section of land that used to be plantations. And it's just land between the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain to kind of let water run off so we don't flood New Orleans. But because those that land was plantations, it's filled with uh, cemeteries for enslaved people. So it's kind of a controversial thing, right? Because you're, you're uh, just using that as an industrial spillway. Um, but they've identified a new cemetery recently. It's a Monroe Plantation Cemetery by the Shell Convent Refinery. It's not by the refinery. Um, but it's an organization called the River Road African Burial Grounds Coalition, and they've teamed up with, with Shell and uh, have actually started marking out some of these cemeteries. But you have to get special permission. You have to be a relative and get special permission to go in and visit them. But um, I think it's kind of an unknown problem that's going on, but it's really interesting to see this kind of confluence of kind of the international economy that we're talking about, the extraction economy, which is all up and down the Mississippi River, these oil refineries, and kind of the uh, old extraction economy that we used to have that was plantation slavery. Um, all of this interacting with, with modern-day, well, somewhat modern-day infrastructure and in trying to prevent flooding in New Orleans. We are, again... Uh, flooding over the, the burial grounds of enslaved people. So interesting historical confluence there. Um, so on that note, I guess we'll wrap up the episode uh, for this week. So uh, keep keep uh, keep going on strike, teachers. Um, it's a good solidarity. thing. Solidarity. Solidarity all the teachers out there and workers yeah. everywhere. And so that's all for this week. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. Thank you, David. See you guys next Thanks, week. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Are you out? Um, <laughs> just for the recording. Just for Can the I recording, but I, I would show you my uh, ceiling a little bit more. <laughs>